Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thanks. How was your week? My week was good. What'd you do? Um, I had lunch on Tuesday. Nice. Uh, I had dinner on Tuesday. We're not going to do seven days of this. So. No, I mean, I already did it. Listen, have you heard last week's podcast yet? I haven't. They just keep piling up. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. We had Sycamore on last week, as you know. Yes. And it got such a great reaction online. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, people were inspired by it. People loved hearing what an A&R does. People liked hearing the those stories about YG and Jeremiah and Travis Scott and yeah, uh, our history where we we turned down a chance to get Nicki Minaj on one of our uh, our uh, sketches back in the day. Yeah, really smart decision by us. So a lot of good information in that podcast. It was really fun. People should check it out. Where can they check it out? Uh, SoundCloud and iTunes, and you know if you want to borrow a friend's phone if they have it. I don't know. I th- I recommend that by the way. Yeah, just take a friend's phone. Um, take anybody's phone. And this week. We have we have a track. We have our friend a track DJ a track. Yes, he who, is the resident DJ at the Win in Las Vegas. Yes, um, he is the uh, founder of Fools Gold Records with Nick Hatchdubs and, and his brother. And uh, back in the day, he was the touring DJ for Kanye West. Anyway, 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 here is our podcast with podcast. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. C-D-E-F-G-A-B-C, a.k.a. Major Key. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Morphine Power Ranger, a.k.a. Methadon Dada. <laughs> Was this rehearsed? No, we, we just do this. Okay. Hi. <laughs> you gotta say who you are. Oh, hi. A-Track. What's yeah, up? this is a waste of time with this the real. That too. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? Hey. Uh, how's it going? Going good, going grand, going great. Good. How's stupendous, business? Stupendous, stupendous, stupendous. Everything's tremendous. Oh, Jeff, how's business? Booming. Booming. <laughs> booming. <laughs> um, wait, there that was kid's a... kid's a millionaire, I think. He is. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously booming. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, but there was a snap the other day where um, Ben was asked, like, you know, how's business? And he yeah. goes, booming. And then... Coward turns and goes, yo, Chris, there's another guy. He goes, yeah. yo, Chris, has business? He also says booming. Yeah. And Ben goes, dude, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Make up your own. <laughs> yeah. Jeff was really concerned, actually, when um, and we're talking about Benjamin Kicks, who is Khaled's shoe dealer. Mm. During, like, Christmas break, he took that bus trip from Miami to Vegas. To Vegas. Yes. And Jeff was concerned. It was like, well, it, it is Christmas break, so it's all right. Now, I feel like it's it's school year again, and he's hanging with him in L.A. Ah, is he playing hooky? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't think that Ben has parents. I think he's like a little <laughs> scamp who just like, you know... He's like an orphan child. Maybe he's a Melanakis kind of guy, and he's actually 42. Oh, oh whoa. <laughs> Maybe. I really never put that together, but that might be the case. Maybe. I'm going to start writing some fan fiction about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. We've known A-Track for a while. Uh, yes. I've known you for even longer than, than Jeff has, because I met you back in 2005. Kanye days, right? The, the Kanye days. Um, John Monopoly Connect. That whole thing. I mean, yeah. should we explain who Kanye is? <laughs> Kanye yeah, sure. West? <laughs> yeah, there was that whole week there where... I mean, I got to know Don C and John Monopoly, and there were times when John would, like, change jobs, like, without telling anybody. Yeah, for those who don't know, Kanye's uh, original management team... Well, actually... Around the first album, he had like three management yeah. teams, <laughs> but the Chicago core of it was a crew called Hustle, which was mainly John Monopoly and Don C. Don C still around; people know him as Just Don. When I met him, he was 
really my point person for all my work with Kanye. He was essentially a tour manager. He was also your predecessor behind the wheels. DJ Offbeat That's was right. his DJ yeah. name. <laughs> John Monopoly was a Chicago more sort of club promoter uh, figure. And so, yeah, you guys were doing some video work, well, I think? So, well, just Eric. Yeah, me. Okay. He, um, you know, I, I graduated college and thought I was going to be a feature film writer and director. And life is not a straight path, you know? Yes. And, uh, you know, I knew of Kanye and knew that he had, like, other sort of ventures, including Hustle Film, that he was involved with. Right. And so I was like, well, let me get in where I fit in. And I'd love to – I love I love hip-hop. I love film. Let me, like, try to be a part of this world. Yeah. And they showed a lot of interest. And it, it got to the point where, like, they talked about, like, documentaries about, like, John Monopoly's family because they were in, like, the Johnson body – Oh yeah, yeah. Products, products, right? Yeah, right, and, yeah. his um, name is Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, John Johnson. And so they they wanted me to do documentaries for that, and this and, and write scripts and do other things. Mm. And at a certain point, yeah, John would switch jobs. He'd be a violator. He'd be at at um, oh, one of the record companies, which I forget, where he signed um, Dirtbag to. Whoa. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember that he was a violator before because yeah, I would just ask him questions about. I'd just be like, "Hey, talk to me about Mob Deep. Like, yeah. Tell me, <laughs> tell me a havoc story." And then like one day, it was just like, "Well, his email's bouncing back," and. So I was just like, let me track him down somehow. And I did. And then he's like, oh, and he hit me on text and is like, I'm in, I'm staying at the W Hotel. And I was like, cool, I'll be there. And then I'm like, wait, which W Hotel? (laughs) (laughs) And so I showed up and I saw Consequence like downstairs. And I was like, yo, because I had met him originally down at Asbury Park at some show. Right. And he conned you into buying like two two, mixtapes. Yeah, he was like, I'll, I'll introduce you to Don C. if you buy two of my mixtapes. For the measly sum. Yeah. Which... I will gladly pay Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> Take him to the cleaners. Uh, he took which... you to the cleaners. I know. Yeah. And I have that. And so, um, anyway, so I saw him downstairs. And then he's like, all right, like, come on upstairs to whatever suite there was. And up there were GLC. Mm, Leonard. Um, Leonard. You, Yep. Yeah, I was and there. and consequence and John Monopoly was like sitting on the bed or whatever. Cool. And I came in and caught up or whatever and he was like, This is a track and I thought he said eight track mm. and not uh, not an uncommon Sure. <laughs> mix up. And then later on, um when they hired me to document Kanye behind the scenes during that whole Grammy run, um yeah. which was like at the start of it was um the uh, label launch party for good music here in New York and their rehearsals and everything with some John Legend stuff. Yeah. And then the whole week in LA, I reconnected with you and you were just like, hey, what's going on? And then, you know, we sort of saw each other in LA a little bit. And then we didn't, you know, I Jeff didn't know you, but I, I didn't see you until much later on when we were more certified as It's the Real. It's the Real. And then we... Uh, we finally had you on an old podcast called Hype Men. Yeah, which was also here, right? Which is also yes. here. I yeah. remember this living room. And then we've since had your brother on. Yeah. On A Waste of Time. Yeah, recently, right? Recently. Yeah. You've had Nick a bunch of times, I think. And Nick yeah. a bunch of times, sure. Yeah. So it's like, it's about time you come back. I'm here. And yeah. I'm here to reclaim. Now, when, when, we, had, when we had your brother on, um, yeah. he told us a few amazing things. Yeah. One of which was uh, his phone number back at home. Mm. Do you remember what it was? In Montreal? In Montreal. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait. He had a, a, a five, seven, six days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A custom phone number yeah. like Sir Mix-a-Lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did, did. Did I you... forgot that. That's cool. <laughs> I have a good memory for, for, for numbers, but I, you had to prompt me. I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. Would you ever like um, – did you ever like think of having one of your own? No. I'm more like – 
I just like numbers that have a good sort of ring to them, no pun intended. Like mm. that sound cool or that looked like a cool sequence. It didn't have to be a word. Yeah. But yeah, that was funny. I hope there's some like... <laughs> yeah, somebody whose name is not Dave now like has it. <laughs> yeah. That people it's can kind of, call. Yeah, I wonder if it, if there's like a... When Kramer has the, the phone number that's almost movie phone. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. don't you tell me which Dave you're trying to call? <laughs> 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 so if anyone wants to look for Dave, it's five one four five seven six D A V E. That was him. That was him. In um, the the other really cool thing that that he told us that we had no idea was that you were friendly with Juicy J going back to the Kanye days. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I posted a throwback Thursday's photo of that recently. Yeah, I, I met Juicy J um, at the Mix Show Power Summit when I went there with Ye. And uh, we stayed friendly for a long time. Juicy J is one of those guys, kind of like Bun B, like he'll remember a face for years. Yeah, you can, you might not see him for three, four years. And then I remember I saw him at an airport, <laughs> way after I stopped working with Yay. He's like, "What's up, A Track?" So Juicy J, <laughs> and I was already a fan of his. Actually, we were there with John Monopoly at the Mixo Power Summit, and <clears throat> I used to amuse Monop by knowing uh, "Sipping on Some Scissor" by heart. <laughs> He would have me, with my French-Canadian accent, <laughs> recite Sipping on Some Scissor. <laughs> so when we saw Juicy J, he's like, I want you to meet my friend A-Track. I was like, please don't make me rap. <laughs> please don't make me rap. Not in front of Juicy J. Did you... Um, you know that we're going to make you rap it now. That's right. That's oh, right. No, you don't want that. Um, <laughs> did you have uh, anything to do with the, the Side to Side remix? Or were you there um, for that? I was there. I remember. Yeah, I, I really remember that. Uh, I was maybe... I had a peripheral in this, uh, influence in the sense that so in those years of the Kanye tours, I'm talking about like 2005 and six or so, um, I was working with GLC a lot, kind mm-hmm. of producing his project and obviously working with Kanye closely, mainly. But uh, GL and I used to listen to a lot of 3-6. And when that album came out, you know, Stay Fly was such an anthem. And that made that whole album, the most known unknowns, an anthem. That was, you know, that album just sort of solidified their legendary status in a sense yeah. and so you know i think kanye really was genuinely a fan of three six for a long time but maybe the fact that a couple of us were listening to that record so actively around him when they asked Ye to jump on the remix that made it even more like oh yeah that's i have to i'm from the south side of shab in the hood show me love flicking at the grammys with the michael jackson gloves i so crazy probably thought i was on truck Kumo D glasses, man, I don't give a fuck. I'm on the rims by Molly. I'm cocky as Ali. I told you, I make history for Ali. Banging arms used to twist their head from side to side. Now I get on TV, do whatever I decide. I'm in the club, posted up, uh, got my own phone. In my mouth, in these haters, I'm scoping, I'm just my I want to say that that was, that was recorded. I have a mental picture of the studio where that verse was recorded. We were either in Australia or New Zealand, and Ye had to find a studio to do his verse. And it was a pretty lo-fi studio. I remember that their Pro Tools was still running on a computer that had OS 9. I hadn't seen (laughs) OS 9 in a long time. It was a really old version of Pro Tools on OS 9, and I was like, yo, this is trippy. This is really weird. (laughs) Trippy because of Juicy J. I probably still have the trippy app on my phone. Let me check. Hold up. Wait, what is the trippy app? I'll show you right now. We trip you, man. Um, <laughs> real quick, Jeff, you should mention why we have bagels here. Oh, because we're Jewish. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, because uh, we had Dave on the podcast, your brother, and he mentioned how he does not fuck with uh, 
New York bagels. Yes. And we were like, because, you know, he lived on the Upper West Side when he went to Columbia and all that. And 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 we were like, I actually lived there too. Yeah. Did I delete the trip yet? Wow, big mistake. (laughs) Blasphemy. Yeah. It was this soundbite app where you could just go, Scrippers. (laughs) Like, play me some Pippin' Man. It's fun. Um, your brother doesn't like New York bagels. These are from Absolute Bagels, which are on like 107th. Yeah, that, not yeah. only doesn't I mean he and I, I can I can um, I'll have his back on this one. <laughs> we don't acknowledge nor respect New York bagels. Wow, wow. I it mean, I acknowledge really it as a thing you. that makes me really bloated. I I can't. <laughs> You're saying that in front of the bagels. Yeah, yeah. and what? <laughs> yeah. Um. The Montreal versus New York bagel rivalry is a much fabled and very true rivalry. Well, listen, I... Like, well, wait, so what's the difference? It's that you guys use, like, honey or something in them? Um, okay, so there's a few things from what I understand. And the funny thing is in Montreal, there's really just officially... There's, like, two main bagel shops mm-hmm. that are really respected, accredited. People do, like, a pilgrimage to get bagels mm-hmm. there. It is, And uh, they're one block away from each other, San Vietor bagels and Fairmount bagels. The the two founders were originally pounter, uh, uh, partners, and mm-hmm. they had a feud. They split. They essentially make the same bagel. I can't really taste the difference. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's literally five blocks from where my parents and you know from where I grew up with my parents, and um, it's a different kind of brick oven. Um, the bagels are lighter. They are uh, they're boiled in a sort of sweet water first, and then they're put in the oven. And um, yeah, there's something about the water. And that whole process that makes them a lot lighter. There actually is a hole in the center of the bagel, whereas the New York bagel, I believe, has more of a belly button situation. <laughs> you can see through the Montreal ones. Are you also like the guy who likes Tim Hortons and doesn't fuck with Dunkin' Donuts? Nah. And okay, so it's not Tim like... Tim Hortons isn't that good. Also, it's cool to say it's good, but it's not that good. Wouldn't you say that you're more of a New Yorker now at this point? Well, now certainly, you live in L.A. Well, no, but certainly more <laughs> yeah. than L.A. Like you're, I feel like you're such a part of the city. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, it's both. I, you know, I lived in Montreal. <clears throat> sorry, till I was twenty-four. Officially. Yeah. Do you have your driver's license? Yeah. Yes. And then I moved to New York. I lived eight years in New York, so mm-hmm. I, st- you know, I lived longer in Montreal. Um, yeah, I got my driver's license when I was like sixteen in Montreal. Um, had it for a long time. I never actually owned a car until I moved to LA a year ago. Really didn't drive much until I went to LA. I guess you have to have a car in LA, right? Yeah. You well, unless you're I mean, I feel everywhere. like I would Uber everywhere. Uber everywhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you use Uber a lot out in LA? A bit, but I mean, the first month that I lived there, I really did Uber everywhere, and then I realized it was a little ridiculous, and <laughs> then I got a car. Was Which, that just because you were going to like Malibu? You know, <laughs> yeah, that's like the thing. 45 is, minute a little, trek. like, sort of, like, as a, you know, just. I'm in L.A. mainly to, to record, so, and so I'm bouncing around. I go to L.A. Issues. to network, you know. <laughs> exactly. I'm just there to, <laughs> to make it. business cards. Yeah. But I'm bouncing, yeah, I'm bouncing around um, studios that are in different parts of town, so it got a little crazy. We had uh, Sycamore on the podcast. Oh, cool. And Sick. Yeah. And he said that – and he's, you know, New York born and bred, but he's yeah. lived out in L.A. for a while. Yes. And he said that L.A. has become really – a place where starving artists can live and and make a career for themselves. And in New York, you can't anymore because it's become a billionaire city. So people have been priced out, and he feels like the creativity has gone to the West Coast as well. Yeah, Do you find that to be the case? Uh, I definitely agree that uh, it's cheaper to live in L.A. than in New York. Um, <laughs> I just also think that... I do think that there's been a sort of 
mass migration of the creativity. Um, I still think New York is cooler. New York will always be cooler. But specifically, studio sessions, there's like barely any studios in New York. Um, there's a couple in Brooklyn now, which is cool. And obviously, nowadays, you don't necessarily have to go to a physical studio to make music as much anymore. But like, there's the whole community of recording is in LA and songwriters and publishers and this and that. And there's a lot of producers also in the electronic scene where I'm heavily involved too. Uh, that's become the hub of it for North America. So the recording in LA is just easier. My like my for my own work basically I make music in LA pretty much all the time. That's what made that's what drew me to move there. And if I want to work on hip hop stuff, I go to Atlanta for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is one giant hip hop studio. And then you come here <clears throat> to just vacation. And then I come <laughs> here to get the downloads on you know everything else and take care of fool's gold business and do a few meetings. Mm-hmm. When I'm in New York, I have these crazy days where I have like eight things in my eye call on any given day, which is not even possible. That's part of why I'm able to make more music in LA is it's not possible to do eight things in LA because you got to drive everywhere and there's traffic and all this stuff. So you do three things you know, and including then you just like tell the people that you're like, you know, stuck in traffic and you can't make it. No, and then one of those things is the studio. You're there for like eight hours or something. You get music done, and at the end of the day, you feel pretty good. In New York, uh, I'm just bouncing around the city all day, taking care of stuff, which is great. I need to do it, but I don't really. I realize that I don't need to do it more than a few days out of the month. Well, when it came to recording in New York, where was your home base? Uh, I would just make music out of my spot, but I honestly I haven't made music in new york in years i was already going to la to make music for the last couple of years even before i moved there i'm i'm pretty much unable to make music in new york mm. but you know i practice i can practice my djing and do meetings and take <laughs> care of things um but yeah in la i'm just there's a there's a more sort of stable mindset where i can block things out of my head and just be creative do you know how many uh air miles you have right now I, well, I have air miles with three with the three main uh, Airlines. groups. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Star Alliance, which is United, Air Canada, and others. Mm-hmm. Lufthansa. <laughs> um, you know, One World is American and Friends. Sky Team is Delta mm-hmm. and, and Co. Um, and Do it varies. Get- yeah, I mean, I use a, I use them sometimes. Like I'll get my mom flights and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Do you have you ever home? been in the cockpit? No, actually, I haven't. Is that what you're going to do on the flight back to LA? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. There's the United has this status above Gold and One K called. Um, uh, why am I blanking? Amer- for American, it's called Concierge Key. For United, I am blanking right now. There's a special status that's really high up, and the only person that I knew that had that was Just Blaze. And then I had it for one year, which was two years ago. I'm really mad that I, I, they took me off of it after a while. But as soon as I found out I had that status. Uh, I called Just and I was like, "Yo, let's talk about it. Like, what do they really do?" And he's like, "Yo, kid, they they held a plane for me once." And, you know, so that's awesome. Infinitelegroom.com is yep. the travel website yep, 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 that yep. I own. You just like us have not seen we we had not seen Star Wars. We now have. Okay. Just Blaze was on the podcast. We had him on here uh, to Chang. talk about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we went over to Just's house to watch it. Yeah. And it was like like <clears throat> watching it within Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like his dogs are all like they look like Ewoks. I don't know if that means anything to you, <laughs> but like um like his uh yeah, they, yeah had, they had like all these cupcakes that were decorated for it. It was like a big thing where like is all this stuff like normally out and you know <laughs> so they showed us uh the first two and we're like 
All right, fine. So I wait, have, have have you seen the even the early Star Wars? So we just we saw the first two mm. at his place. Okay, and then um, we our, our agent found out and got mad that we had never seen Star Wars, and so they sent us the next like the the three that we hadn't seen, the four that we had, four seen, that we hadn't seen, which was six, one, two, and three. Right. Right. So, like the original two. So the, fir- the first ones were four, five, six. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, first ones. Yeah, yeah. Four, yeah. five, six. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I. You know what's funny? I don't even remember which ones I've seen. I. I know I've seen parts of some of the early ones, but it didn't really strike me like in my memory. I don't remember if I've seen Empire Strikes Back or whatever our, else. Our whole thing was like we've seen Spaceballs. Like, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, so like we're nice. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once you've gone to Mel Brooks, you can't really yeah. go anywhere else. I know I saw one of the. Uh, the ones that came out, you know, ten or fifteen years ago. The, As a joke? The, <laughs> nah, I, I don't know. I was I, for, I forget. I was traveling or something. One of the ones with Natalie Portman. I saw it. I was like, this isn't very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, See, we haven't even seen that one, so I don't even know. It's yeah, not good. We, we yeah. have oh. here. We're just I'm like, sure the classic ones are good. I've seen. I have enough little like seg like segments of memories of the early ones that I could appreciate. I I have a great appreciation for art that's for like ages six to sixty six kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I put. You know, the you Sim- love board games. <laughs> yes, no, but I'll put the Simpsons and the Beatles and the similar and any th- and like any Pixar movie in this sort of catch-all category of like, you know, art that works for anybody. That you know, for me, kids have to appreciate something, but then there has to be like some higher references in there too. And I understand that the classic, like the better Star Wars movie, have that quality of, especially like. There's even sides of those original ones, the sound design being done on Moogs and stuff like that, that I appreciate. It just was never my thing, so I literally have no interest in seeing the new one. I'm not anti it. If you sat me down and put it in front of me and like gave me a, a, a plate of almonds, I'll probably watch it. And I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but I have no urge to go out and watch it. So that's, that's where we were. Um, and, and then Phil Chang got us tickets to go see the new one. Uh-huh. Well, and my thing was, like, I have no emotional attachment to it whatsoever. I think like if you watch it as a kid and you take something away from it, you're going to later on just be really waiting for this movie. Yes. For me, I walked in there and I was like, all right, like it's fine. Like yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't mind blowing, and it it didn't strike me as something that oh I've been missing this for my whole life. Yeah, you enjoyed it. Yeah, that was good. Um, I will say so. Uh, they had like uh, dedicated popcorn, like special popcorn Ooh. for this stuff. And special it was like, cloth alert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, it was major key. Yeah. Very hard to swallow. Um, uh, but what's it called? Like you got the the light side, and I got the dark side. Yeah, they type had like chocolate because it was like combinations that were like this. These are the light side, and these are the dark side. And so uh-huh. we were just like, ah, uh, you get one, and I'll get the other. And mine yeah. was disgusting. Yeah, so is mine. Yeah, so you know, it wasn't mixed up very well. It was sort you know, of what movie's layers. good. You know, a movie's really good. What's that? Have you seen the Lego Movie? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good, right? It is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. In, in the category of movies that are people think it's for kids but it's actually like well and so really I, th- smart and funny. I think you're i think you're more right with like the pixar and the simpsons and all those things that you mentioned than yeah. star wars i feel like like i didn't get something where i was like oh i'm i was missing this or right. i see there's different levels to it like yeah. right you just, don't get the feeling that like conan o'brien wrote on it you know right yeah <laughs> right that um, subtle kind of genius yeah. yeah in regards to um we've been to a lot of uh fool's gold uh shows here in new york have, yeah. which we're uh always excited to see because it's there's always a surprise there's always mm. like lots of guests and obviously like the mainstays just kill it every year cool. um thanks when you know a juicy j comes out when a french montana comes out as the you know when the locks come out and it's like always that big sort mm. of um like headliner yeah uh there's always 
it, there's always a real excitement and it, there's a lot of thought that's put into it. I feel like if Khaled was hitting like maybe like six months from now. I call him Khaled. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Respectfully. That, I think he would be like the guy to show up there. And, like, I've been headline. trying to get Khaled for years. Uh, to, um, so his uh, his guy is this, is uh, J1s, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been hitting J1s for like at least two or three years whenever we do a Fool's Gold event in Miami, which is once a year. Mm-hmm. Yep. I try to get Khaled to show up. He's always busy. I don't know if he – there's a weird thing with Khaled. You know, he's at that sort of R. Kelly level where like uh, – He's got to be aware that it's funny, mm-hmm. and and he plays along with the role that works. So he, I'm sure he's self-aware, but I don't know if he understands that there's like other things out there in the world, <laughs> you know. So like, because I think that Khaled could come to a Fool's Gold event and and understand what we're about and be like, oh, cool, because he knows about. He, he's obviously like into the DJ craft, so I'm sure he could come and be like, oh, here's some DJs doing interesting stuff, and some rappers that I know, but other musicians that I don't know, and somehow it all it. You know, it's in this mixed pot that makes sense. I'm sure he could get it, but for I don't know why he doesn't seem to be curious about the world outside of Khaled. Right. Um, yeah. No. Khaled. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, also, like, I don't think that he's too busy to to come. Obviously, like, yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, that's the on, startling thing. Because, like, if you watch his Snapchat, thing. like, yeah. you just see that he he does the same thing every day and yeah. mostly just stays at home. I I'm I'm very amused by the fact that he has a. a a, uh, an old school elevator in his house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he takes an elevator to go have and breakfast. He has to, yeah, and he has to open it and close it every single time with yeah, the, the manual. Yeah, he's got, like, that, he's got a service elevator. Yeah, <laughs> to go to the kitchen. But then he goes to the treadmill. Yeah, right. I don't know why he doesn't walk up the stairs. I'd like to see those stairs. By the way, on Rick Ross's Snapchat, who also <laughs> he also has a, an elevator in his home. Uh-huh. Um, there was one time where he was bragging about taking the stairs, but then he got <laughs> tired and then decided to go back down the stairs <laughs> and then take the elevator up. Okay. Yeah. So um, it might be like a thing where he's just like, eh, you know. Yeah. I, I have um whole fascination also just for that type of house. Like in the South, there's those houses that were probably built six years ago that when rap dudes get them, they think they're balling. But to me, it looks like a very cheaply made a suburban kind of house like yeah. you feel yeah. like you would knock the door and the whole house falls over <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they're like yo I got a piano <laughs> <laughs> but like all the all the details like the doorknobs and everything are terrible but it doesn't really matter in this house but yeah it's interesting <laughs> I just, like the Khaled explosion is is uh, is interesting right now because to me Snapchat as a business they've been saying for over a year now that they want to take over TV mm-hmm. and to me Khaled's the first reality TV star of Snapchat like his success which he's suffering from yeah. uh, <laughs> on Snapchat makes me believe that Snapchat could be the new TV mm-hmm. yeah I, and but I've seen you guys tweet a little bit that you're sort of over it right well okay so Jeff especially I okay. I was very early on Khaled chat and I was very early on Ross chat okay. and then Six weeks of him going down the same pathway to success and watering the same plants and, you know, yeah. saying lie on every single time. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you know, I, I've seen. And then, like, at a certain point, it just becomes <clears throat> reruns. And so you're wondering why. It's Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah. Like, why am I watching this when I could I could literally be doing anything else? But your favorite thing was when they had the crossover episode. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ross. yeah, 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 like, yeah. And you could watch from either perspective. Yeah. And by the <laughs> way, it came, it came across so differently 
through Ross's Snapchat. I just thought of that because you remember when there was the Simpsons episode with the critic as a guest? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Imagine if they did the same weekend or the same week a critic episode where the Simpsons guest and you could watch from both sides. That would be genius. Yeah. Yeah. The equivalent of that. Snapchat's more powerful than animated studios, right? Certainly. See, these are the two levels you're talking about, not (laughs) Star Wars. Star Wars is garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I dressed up as Khaled for for Halloween. I was wondering if he... Yeah, did you ever reach out or... No, I don't really have a a dialogue with him. I I speak to J1s. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Khaled doesn't seem to acknowledge (laughs) me much. But he, yeah, he posted it on his Instagram, which I was really that was proud of. But uh, but he wasn't even he wasn't like yo, my man, a track that he was just like fan love. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'll be a fan, sure. Because you had the Miami Heat jersey with another one, yeah. on the back, Custom right? Made. Yeah. That, I'd like to, you know, I'm glad you pointed that out because we. I remember when my friend and I had that made. We we're like, yo, once he makes this for merch, he's gonna make a killing, and I'm sure he's making a killing too. Yeah, on all we like probably, his like slides. WeTheBestStore.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Similar to Two Chains with his uh, Dab in Santa Which millionaire genius. story, and he made like genius. two million dollars or like something. That. Yeah, yeah. To charity. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Tahid is a generous one. No kidding. Yes. Um, he's another he's one. A lovely guy. Well, and what a lovely guy. Yeah, <laughs> Two Chains. What a lovely guy. And also his manager Tech. Yeah, wonderful guy. I love the South and all the whole South. Well, have you been to Rick Ross's? And formerly Evander Holyfield's mansion. No, I uh, yeah, I don't really know Rosé. Because that's that's one of those homes that I feel like that's a lot of doorknobs to change out. Like, yeah, you know, that's you have to change out the uh, yeah, it's like forty rooms. And, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the and the gate probably had like you know Evander written on it. Or something. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you have to change out everything to make it your own. Yeah. Another thing that Jeff has predicted, which is sort of unfortunate, but we'll see if it happens, is Cal's relationship oh, with his wife. Yeah. So Khaled, Cal's wife hates. His Snapchat yeah. and has made that very well known because mm-hmm. he keeps trying to, you know, tape her in bed or just like anywhere. Yeah. And I get the feeling that uh, they're going to get a divorce and I get the feeling that he's going to Snapchat that divorce. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you never see her, it's it's like the grownups on, on Muppet Babies. Or sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shows like that. You know? <laughs> um. Can we talk about you did days. live you did, <laughs> you did live on the Upper West Side or yes. or more like uptown <clears throat> yeah, when you when you first moved down here right yeah, yeah what brought you up here um I was kind of toying with the idea of moving to New York for a while or at least splitting my time between Montreal and New York and uh, when <clears throat> when Dave did a, his school exchange to go to France for a year I started coming to to New York to kind of stay in his place when he was away but essentially once I came to New York I never went back to Montreal (laughs) (laughs) so I started off on 122nd and for that year I had no reason to be in Morningside Heights because I wasn't going to school there so everybody I knew was downtown or in Brooklyn so I got tired of taking half hour cab rides to do anything (laughs) social so a year after that I moved to Williamsburg and I stayed there but do you have any do you have any memories of Anything Upper West Side? Or I love Uptown. Yeah. I love Uptown. I was literally—I just had a conversation today with Princess Nokia about how cool Uptown is. Anytime I see Venus, we talk about how cool Uptown is. I just—not to mention when I see you know Cam and Duke and those guys, but yeah, just right. like One Twenty Fifth is the embodiment of flavor. There's nothing cooler than One Twenty Fifth to me. 
Um, Although now it's getting like very not cool. I guess I haven't been in a few years. Maybe it's changed a little bit. Like there's an Applebee's there. There's a yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings. There is a Wingstop there. So that's, oh right, you know, yeah. yeah, you got to balance it. Yeah. As long as yeah. I could buy and you know. Uh, Essential oils and incense. Yeah, yes, sure. it's still cool. Um, I don't remember who, by the way. Sidebar, you know, like when Ty Dolla was like, no one knew what he looked like for a while. Mm-hmm. Ty Dolla Sign, and he was just on those mustard records, so people thought that he was going to look like YG or something. Right. And then he made an appearance at some award show, and I forget who, but someone that we probably all follow tweeted, like Ty Dolla Sign looks like a guy who sells oils on the subway. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, this might be the funniest <laughs> sordidness that I've heard in a long time. But he's great. He's very talented and a lovely guy. There's a, there, funny. There's a, there's a few of those when, like, like your old Droog or, like, guys who, yeah. like, don't show themselves for a while the weekend. And then right. it's just, like... Or Jesus. That, yeah, sure. Yeah. That mystery is pretty, like, exciting and, and doesn't really happen a lot anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, when the weekend started off, I remember when there would be, like, vague pictures... Of, like, his shadow, like, we think this is him. Or, like, <laughs> someone uncovered, like, footage of a talent show in Toronto. Like, that's him. That's Abel. <laughs> it's interesting. I, actually, he successfully turned his image thing around, where now he's, like, got the most iconic haircut, the most meme-friendly haircut in I the game. I think he looks like um, Randall from uh, <laughs> Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's fair. Um, wait, did you know any of these people before they got big and you were just like, oh, like that's that kid? As far as Canada connections? I mean, sure. Or just, or no, even- like when Drake blew up, it was an interesting uh, process for me in terms of my relationship to Canada because it was the first time that there was a new generation of hip hoppers. Like I had moved away from Canada long enough that I realized like, whoa, there's new people doing dope hip hop that I don't know from Canada because the last person you knew was like Cardinal Official. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. <laughs> so yeah, because for such a long time it was the same usual suspects doing hip hop in Canada for years and years. Dave and I were kind of holding down Montreal and we had audio research our, our old record label out of there and we knew a lot of the guys making music from Toronto. We knew the guys from Halifax. We knew the guys from Vancouver. Um Nobody in Calgary. <laughs> I knew a couple of DJs in Calgary for sure. And um, Toronto in particular, for a long time, had this old guard that really had a stranglehold almost on, or at least a stronghold, I'll say it more kindly, on the record industry of almost all of Canada. Like, you know how Canada has these grants that you can get, like music, I don't know if you ever, if you know, but like in Canada, as a musician, you can get a grant. It's, there's a bunch of grants. It's amazing. It supports the arts a lot. So there's Hold grants. Hold on. We're <laughs> Americans. <laughs> okay. We don't understand like people supporting arts. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, Canada is, uh, is, is different and you can get grants to fund the making of an album. You can get a grant to fund marketing and touring. You can get a grant for videos. It's really amazing. It's really amazing. Yo, the, I cannot state... wait until Bernie Sanders is our president <laughs> yeah. and we turn into Canada. And we can have subsidized record labels. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, 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 the country funds all these things. I mean, it's, they're a little hard to get, but you can get them. And, um, but there used to be this thing where, you know, the sort of judging panel for when you put in those grant applications was kind of held uh, by a handful of Toronto music managers that would just grant them to the same people every year. And so if you were from Montreal or Vancouver or wherever, you just weren't getting those grants because you weren't in on the politics or whatever. And that's, I mean, to be fair, like all those other cities suck, right? <laughs> no, Toronto sucks. <laughs> I'll openly shit on Toronto. <laughs> 
I mean, Toronto's fine in the sense that it's just like Chicago or any other like big American city. Where is much music based? Toronto. Mm. Okay, just making sure. Montreal <laughs> has Music Plus. <laughs> that was our version of Much Music. Same logo, but with a French name. But anyways, <laughs> the, the, what I was getting at is just this idea that for so long, Toronto, the Toronto hip-hop scene was controlled by just a handful of people. And By the way, still is. Not, but oh, I don't know. Now it's different. Ram Riddles is different. Yeah, Ram <laughs> Riddles then, is different. Then I moved to, to America, toured with Ye, did other stuff, started Fool's Gold. And then, you know, Drake came out with his early music and I was like, this is kind of good. And So Far Gone came out and I was like, whoa, this is cool. And there's actually a cool cover with like nice artwork. Who are these people with a nice <laughs> blog and a g- good rapper from Canada that I don't know? And I remember trying to figure out like, well, I got to know someone here. And I connected with Oliver uh, in those days and he him being just a little older than drake he knew about audio research and me and dave's early work and he, he was like yeah i used to have obscure disorder vinyl that's the old group that dave and i used to have in montreal so that he was the guy that kind of knew kind of more the lineage um and we're still friends to this day but that was that was interesting i remember just having that reaction of like <laughs> whoa have i been in the u.s that long that there's a rising hip-hop star in canada that i don't know mm-hmm. right for all for all of their wins and successes and smart aesthetic choices it's always interesting to me that they've kept with october's very own dot net that's yeah. number one and number two <clears> that's <throat> <a> blog spot <laughs> yeah yeah like never... the, but i feel like the dot net is uh is was for a long time a tasteful um choice you know i there was a couple by the way audio research.net that okay. was our website there was a website too there was a couple people track.com com okay all right yeah <laughs> getting the big bucks uh but for a while i feel like dot, dot net was this almost hipster choice for a website <laughs> Um, that's true. If you had like a GeoCities like you know domain, then you're really that's another cool. thing. That's another thing. <laughs> By the way, when you know one of the reasons I'll always respect Borat was that when Borat came came out, he had the website that had like the counter on the bottom oh, and yeah. the little flames in the yep, big yeah. background. Very authentic. Genius. Yeah, that yeah. was so good. Uh, and I just if you're talking about like the there are you know what's cool with Drake sometimes is the sort of paradox of like this guy makes the best music that everyone listens to um but and then fill in the blank and then my my thing of choice is the experience shower do you guys remember yes. the complex oh my story, god the experience shower yeah so That's he has a shower thing. that changes colors oh right <laughs> which was which was like detailed in a yeah. complex article once and i remember just being like that's so cool like that's such a paradigm shift that a rapper will openly talk about his lavender experience <laughs> shower. Like we've officially turned the page. <laughs> it's it's very different from when we all grew up. Yeah. 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 Do you think that Drake still gets those grants from Canada? Uh I mean <laughs> I don't think he needs them. Not him himself, but I know that some of the OVO stuff has uh, has has backing, which is great. Yeah. I wish the government would back Fool's Gold Day off. <laughs> you should move operations back to Montreal. Yeah, it's tricky. The idea of doing a either Toronto or Montreal or some sort of Canada Fool's Gold Day off mm. has been discussed but hasn't been actualized. <clears throat> well, we did um, – last June we did an event in Montreal that we called Fool's Gold Homecoming, which was – very similar to to a day off, but because it was a different part of the year, we didn't want to confuse people too much. But that's that, that's a priority to me for sure. You know, um, 
building uh, Fool's Gold in New York was something that required a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in a sense. It required a lot of effort. Like it's not, it's not easy to, it's not easy to make it in New York, kid. You know. <laughs> so I feel like for a couple of years we really worked on the foundation here to real to to to. To craft this sort of hub for the artistic community, um, and that took a lot of our our time and attention span. And then there was a you know there was a point where once that was solid enough, there started being more and more fans from Montreal being like, "Why don't you do this in Montreal? Don't forget your hometown." It's like, of course I haven't forgotten, but like we had to make this a, a, an official brand name that everybody knows and understands. Right. And now now we can go back to Montreal and. Uh, you know, kind of replant that seed there or like, you know, connect back to what the, the groundwork we put before. But I, I definitely think that it required a couple of years of, you know, tending the lion, <laughs> <laughs> watering the plants in New York for a while. Yeah, I don't want to compare it exactly to the lessons I've learned from Shark Tank, but you have to, you know, start off with one home base and then you can... That's right. A brick yeah. and mortar, which, yeah. which you have. We do have a brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. Have you ever thought about... In LA outpost? Yes. Uh, thought about it for sure. And when we did Fool's Gold Day Off last August, we had a pop-up, uh, which was part of 424. Shout out to 424. Great shop on Fairfax. So, um, And that went really well. So I think we're going to you know, gradually um, infest Los That's Angeles. Dope. And me living there makes it easier also to kind of You could just have it out of your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Come to the Fool's Gold shop. <laughs> Take your shoes off. <laughs> we um years ago we did a we did a uh, one of our sketches we did was with Max B and we went mm. over to his place, uh, which was it was it was supposed to be shot here and the whole concept was we were playing Scrabble with Max B. Yeah, um, I love that. That's yeah. great. And but Karen Civil, who organized the whole thing, was oh. like, "Hey, instead of doing it at your place, would you mind coming up to to Max's spot, which is in the Bronx on Sedgwick Avenue?" And we're like, "Sure." So we we run up there. And we get there, and there's zero furniture in the place besides one ottoman and yes. one Pro Tools rig. Right. <laughs> An ottoman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there were, like, uh, seven or six dudes, like, on the wall, just, like, sitting on the floor, just, like, ice grilling us, not happy that we were mm. – that we had brought a, a giant Scrabble board. Like, who are these two guys? <laughs> but their one condition – Yeah, they, I got yelled at for not taking my shoes off. Yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. In this place, which was, you know – Like, it was, it was just, like, a very night. weird night. You also got yelled at for answering the door without, like – Properly looking through the eye hole, right? Right. The yeah. People, yeah. Well, but that's that's on me. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. That's my rookie fault. mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let people into someone else's apartment. Hey guys, we just want to take a second to interrupt a track and remind you that this is actually not the first episode of A Waste of Time with It's the Real. There are 34 others. You can find them at SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time or on iTunes. Please subscribe, download, rate, comment, all of that. Pass them around to your friends. Here now is a clip from our August Alcina episode where he's talking about hanging out with DJ Khaled on a jet ski. No, they have two jet skis. I feel like the most important thing we need to talk to you about is that you were on a boat with DJ Khaled. <laughs> yes, that's the most important thing. That's the, that's the most important thing. I, I honestly have no other topics. No, <laughs> um, what is that experience like? Uh, it was my birthday. I had just finished shooting a video for him, actually, uh, me and Chris. Uh, 
slugs. You know, he just was like, man, let's go on the boat. Let's, you know what I'm saying? It's your birthday, man. You got to live it up. Because I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy. I ain't really tripping on that. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. like, another day, another dollar. And then we was on the jet skis. I went, we, we rode the jet skis to his crib. And I had to fucking swim all the way because we went into the back of his house and, you know, left the jet skis in the water. <laughs> shit just disappeared, like, somewhere super far away. We had to swim so fucking far, man. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah, wait. So you littered with jet skis. <laughs> right. <laughs> you left jet skis and in the water somewhere. Find them. Wait, did someone, so like, leave them far in drive away. or something? Nah, they just floated <laughs> away. We didn't attach it to anything, so we just got, got it up and then we came back and shit was gone. So you had to swim out and go get them? Yes, I was completely tired. Did Khaled do that too? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my god This is see, Don't underestimate the big boy And now Back to a track The 2014 Fool's Gold Day Off um, Might have been the great tour de force of surprise guests During my set I had Cameron Yes Remy Ma Yeah McConan And uh, I forget who else There was someone else Dame Dash but Bobby Schmurda Schmurda came out during Frenchie Yeah Oh right During French Montana And there was someone else too But Uh Getting Remy Ma, who was fresh out of jail, literally like less than a month out of jail, getting her to come to the show was a little laborious. <laughs> and I had to deal with Papoose. And that was really funny oh. because uh, basically uh, Papoose negotiated for her like appearance and we agreed on a set time. But um, and then, you know, some of our guests, when they get to the event, they take a little look they're like oh this is cool they come and hang out like Cameron was just hanging out backstage with everyone but Remy Ma and Papoose stayed in in the car in the little alleyway waiting for their time to play and everything runs a little late at a rap show um, so her appearance got was you know a little later and there's a point where Pap started calling me calling me and I was on stage throwing t-shirts or whatever <laughs> the hell I do at a Fool's Gold event and I run back to the alley and I'm like what's up he's like yo she's got She's on house arrest. She has to be home <laughs> by nine. Like, what are you doing? Get her, we got to get her on stage right now because she's got the ankle bracelet. Oh, my God. Was, that, yeah, that was, that was an interesting reality check. <laughs> and we got her on. <laughs> that year, you had, I think, like, full-bodied uh, McConan. Yes. This year, he came back, and he was just like... Half of himself. Yeah, he yeah. was yeah. like... He's, he's fit and... You know, it was funny that year, by the way, when you said full-bodied, I thought you were about to refer to something else. Our security yes. was oh, we, Zulu Nation. <laughs> yeah, the Zulu Nation. Zulu Nation was security. That they was were incredible. very, very um, about their job. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They were actively enforcing security. Yeah. yeah they checked they, everything but, like, my cheeks for a razor blade. Like, yeah. They, yeah. Were, <laughs> they were so on point. Yeah. It was ill. But they were... Um, yeah, the main guy... When I was talking to him as we were setting up, and he so we started realizing. No, I think maybe halfway through the show when he realized that we were just we weren't a bunch of schmucks, but there was, <laughs> this was like a legitimate operation, and there was a connection to hip hop and the lineage and everything. He sort of took me aside. He's like, "Man, I didn't know this was going to be like my kind of show. This is cool, man. I'm Muhammad. You know, like we used to do Tribe Called Quest. I'm on a world tour with Muhammad, my man. I'm that Muhammad. Whoa, whoa. I'm like, yeah, this is so cool. <laughs> and then Tip came to say, "What's up?" Because I had texted him the day before when I was trying to get my guests. He was like, I'm not going to come on stage, but I'll come hang out and watch the show a little bit. And he showed up to grab me right away. He's like, you didn't tell me that you were going to have Zulu, like my security, doing your security. I was like, I didn't know until this morning, to be perfectly honest. What's Q-Tip like as a, as a person? Because we've only had one interaction which, with him, which was like... Maybe well, well after... we like chased him down in Times Square. And yeah, we yeah, were yeah. like, hey, like... Yeah, yeah. 
And there was like no. Yeah, he was just like, okay, like I'm goodbye. Yeah, like, goodbye. Do, stop bothering me. <laughs> it's like three a.m. Oh, but yeah. like amongst <clears throat> professionals, how is he as a uh, as a human? He's a great dude. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah. I'm I'm very fond of Q-Tip. Uh, I think he's a he's a. There's definitely something a little mystifying or fascinating about him because he's the type of guy that will step in and out of. Uh, I don't want to say the industry, but just like the circle or whatever. Like you know, there'll be years or even parts of a year where he'll do a residency. He would do a part. He would do a party with Vashti or with Ronson or whoever else. And then there'd be another six months where no one would see him. And you, I think it's probably for you know sanity reasons or whatever. But there's a side to Tip that you feel like you know he probably maybe he guards himself a little bit but he's always been really open and cool with me i've been to his house a couple of times hmm. uh did you have to take your shoes off <laughs> i don't think i had to take my shoes shoes off uh yeah he's always been uh really sort of warm and welcoming to me um so yeah it's just a dope dude and i you know i like people that have that sort of magic aura to them where you're just like i don't fully understand how like how you were placed on this earth because you can do things that other humans can't do. <laughs> but can I just sit here and like, we can talk about records. Like he's got that aura, yeah, you know, but uh, he's great. And actually it's interesting in recent months, we've been in touch a bit more also because we both have shows on beats one. So sometimes we'll just sort of like bounce ideas or there's a time where he asked me to help him get a Danny Brown thing for his show. Um, Did you say no? <laughs> no I, I obliged. <laughs> Here's a little factoid. Q-tip is part of the reason why I signed Danny Brown. Really? Yeah. How did Danny, that come to be? Um, Danny, when, you know, as much as people know him now as this sort of like alternative, you know, weirdo rapper, this and that, Danny always had the rapping ass rappers in his court. Like the same way that Sean Price, rest in peace, was a huge Danny Brown fan right right from the start. When I met Danny, you know, he, he had the hybrid mixtape out and he was opening up for Das Racist. Um, and Tip was one of the early people who really believed in him. So um, Nick and I had met him, uh, had met Danny once, and we, had, you know, we decided we were going to send him an offer, basically. And I just happened to be catching up with Q-Tip that day. I, I went to lunch with him or something, and we're just talking about ideas and projects and this and that. And he's like, "Oh, who are you feeling?" And I remember saying, "I think I'm going to try to sign this guy, Danny Brown." And he was like, "Yo, <laughs> he's the shit. Sign, like, do it." get him he's that dude and I, I remember that just gave me that extra little confidence of like all right let me let me seal this deal that's awesome yeah how does how does danny brown end up staying with you instead of going to a major whereas maybe kid cuddy went a different route and was like i want to go I with think, universal yeah i think part of that was just historical with the just the infrastructure of fool's gold growing over the years you know we signed cuddy um <clears throat> and released day and night at a time where, you know, we had kind of grassroots distribution and we were perfectly capable to get songs out to tastemakers and blow up a great single and make a great video for cheap dollars and this and that. But when Day and Night <clears throat> became the song that you heard on Hot 97 all the time with the Jim Jones freestyle yeah, yeah. Yes. and this and that and the Crookers remix was a legitimate top 10 European dance record and everything else. Um, you know, and he, him and his team started like asking for, you know, paying for radio pluggers for the rest of America for a day and night and stuff like that. Like there was a bit of a 
gap between what we we didn't even have that structure yet um <clears throat> and he went to to universal uh I think because he he just wanted to make that leap pretty quick. By the time we had Danny, we we were we had more robust uh, distribution, and we expanded on that even more. Like when we put out Triple X, it still it was still semi grassroots. And when we put out Old, we had ADA distribution, which is Warner. Um, so yeah, I think we caught Danny at a time when when we were just capable to support an album more. Putting out an album, albums are antiquated. And putting out an album requires having access to part of the infrastructure of the record industry that's kind of antiquated. And you have to have these like product managers at a at right. some office or whatever um, to so release it, a rap album. Does it matter that if, if, a, if an artist comes to you today mm. or there's an interest, does mm. it matter if they want to put out a full project or if they're like, I'm more inclined to just put out, put out stuff as fast as I can? We, we tailor make, we customize plans for each and every artist that we sign. You know, there's certain artists. It's, a lot of times it's an open conversation, you know? Even if you look at some of our recent signings, Leaf, Bosco, people like that. Like It would literally be like, do you want to start off with a free release? Cool. Maybe we do like a free album, then we do an EP, then we then we'll put an album up for sale, and then you just have to translate that into some sort of paperwork. But um, <clears throat> you know, to break uh, an alternative R and B singer isn't the same avenues as to break a hip hop artist where you you know you want to get like Digiwax or whoever like promoing the single, and it's certainly not the same avenues as breaking you know, electronic artists who just put out singles and EPs. Um, it's always been important to us at Fool's Gold to keep our structure really flexible and nimble. We're not exclusive to one distributor, but we have access to all those scales. And all different, you know, uh, uh, air miles, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got it. That, that's the same mentality. It's like when you show up, you got to be able to pull that card. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's one It's one world? I got it. Platinum um, exec, what up? What is happening with Danny now? Like, what's different with him having new management, you know, Paul Rosenberg and yeah. everybody at... Uh, at- I mean, I, I think that too sort of came in at a time where he was growing and it helped him have the structure that he probably needed. Goliath is a whole company. Paul's there when he's needed. When he has to make a call, he's everybody picks up his call. <laughs> uh, Dart uh, is... Dart Parker is Danny's... Uh, more sort of active manager and we deal with him all the time and he's great too i think um you know one thing that's cool with goliath also is like they've always been very self-contained they don't like they're from the world of major label rap but they're not one of those companies that expects the the expects the big label to do the development right whatever. they're able to just do things themselves and we're able to do things ourselves so we've We've developed this relationship where Fool's Gold and Goliath can handle, you know, pretty much everything ha- that Danny wants to do, yeah. from his merch to uh, publicity and everything else. So you were talking about, you know, your show at Beats One. You famously are not a fan of Beats headphones. Yeah, that's <laughs> been a bit of an issue. <laughs> do they make you wear them? No, but I don't. Here's the thing: my role at Beats One is kind of invisible no one sees me anywhere i don't record at the station i record at home and i send in my show i remember when i started 
the relationship with Beats One, and I almost forgot that that was the same Beats <laughs> as Beats. Like I went to the to visit the the studio once, and I saw a pair of, of Beats headphones, and I was about to crack a joke, and in my head I'm like, "Wait, this is Beats? Is beats? <laughs> Damn it! I can't make fun of these anymore." And I have to say, to be fair, that they've improved the headphones in terms of to me, like. Even just in terms of audio quality, because in the beginning, it, wow, it was... this sounds like you're just riding the company <laughs> no, line. No, no, yeah. I still think that they, that, I still think that they look like a, a, a kitchen appliance, but, <laughs> um, but they sound better than they used to, and it's fine. And the Beats bill is all right too. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not gonna hold on to. You, the thing is, when you're a smartass, you have to grow with your smartass. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just make fun of the same thing forever, because then you just sound like an old grouch. I'm not grouchy. I'm a, I'm a chipper, pretty happy guy. Let's talk about a couple projects. Um, projects. Yes. Where's the camera on one at? Where uh, are we? I mean, <laughs> how do you want me to answer this? <laughs> well, you've recorded a lot of material, certainly. Yeah. You released, but we recorded a bunch of material all at once. Yeah. Like when Cam and I started working together, it was essentially me, him, and Dame linking up for a period of like maybe two months. And we made a bunch of songs. We had enough for almost an EP. Um, and there was a point where we had to just finish some of those songs. And just those link ups started slowing down to a point to a complete halt. And, uh, but we put, out <coughs> we put out Humphrey as soon as it was done. Mm-hmm. We put out Dipshits with a video. Which was the best. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I was, and I was really proud of that. And to me, that video, the objective was to set the mark for what the whole project should be like. Just to be like, you know, everybody loves and misses Dipset. If I'm going to get involved with this, there needs to be a standard of quality. We're going to make some, you know, excellent, beautiful product for this. Here's a beautiful Here video. things slow down a little bit with the finishing of songs and it kind of is what it is and i it could still happen but you know my take on it is uh cam and i are still great love the guy really lovely guy and insanely talented i think part of what makes dipset and cameron so have such a mystique is the fact that they're completely unpredictable so our recording has been on a very odd timeline. And it kind of is what it is. Maybe one day he and I 
maybe in the foreseeable future, he and I will link up and just finish those last couple joints and we'll put out the project. But my thing is, I refuse to put out a project that's not at the level of, you know, the standard I want it to be at. Right. Because that that defeats the whole purpose of Federal Reserve. So we recorded a few things. I'm really proud of the songs we made. There's some that aren't out that are great that I'm just holding on to closely because to me they only belong on a finished project when it's done. So you're not going to go guest on Q-Tips Beat Show and do a Just Blaze set. (laughs) Exactly, right? That's the Just Blaze special. Uh, It depends how the future plays out. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Um, Cam's great though, dude. The guy cooked for me. Like he's so cool. What did he make? He made some lamb chops. He made some uh, some shrimp. Because we would we would go to his house. And yeah. he has yeah. a strip club in the basement. The boom boom room. Yeah, he, does. he invited us over there the first time we met him. Which He's... which by the way, like to- two totally different things. But when we were doing, um, in in terms of like your thing was way different than ours. But where we connect <clears throat> is that uh, when we were doing a sketch, Joey Ie wanted to have us, and this is during the asylum days. Joey yeah. Ie was like. If you don't come to the office in the next 30 minutes, you're never going to see Cam again. He's mm-hmm. going to jump on a plane, and that's the last you'll see of him. And we're mm-hmm. like, all right. And we went down there, and we shot our video, and it turned out great. Yeah. And then, you know, even now, like, if, if we hit up Cam, and we'll see him, and he's like, you have my new number? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we connect and hit us back right away. And then you try to hit him again, and you'll never hear. And then Yeah, either you have that window or you don't. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, this, there's, like, a romanticism to that, I think. He's. It's interesting because the fact that he's on social networks makes it seem that he's accessible. Accessible, <laughs> right? And uh, but he still has that more old school musician, like pre-social media musician approach of like you might not see this guy for six months. And <laughs> right. I really respect that. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's two things. Okay, so uh, one of the last times that we talked to Cam, he hit up Eric. Okay. He texted him. Yeah. And he goes, yo, I want to get Jeff in my movie. It's like, cool. Um, uh, like, I'm going to call you in like uh, half an hour. Half an hour. <laughs> and then never called. <laughs> yeah, and then when that. we tried to like hit him back. And by the way, like Eric is my agent or something. <laughs> yeah. I want to get Jeff in. And then the other thing <laughs> okay. is uh, the weirdest place that I've seen Cam. I saw him at two places, actually. I saw him once during Fashion Week. Um, With the cape? I, uh this was pre-Cape. Okay, pre-Cape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this was back in like 2010, I think. Mm. Um, I saw him at 4 a.m. at a Fashion Week show that was supposed to start at uh, 11 p.m. So I waited for five hours to see Cam. He Amazing. finally came out and um, there were like maybe like 20 people still there yeah. um, to be generous. And then um, he like hung out with us afterwards and that was great. And then the other thing is I saw him at a 9-11 anniversary show <laughs> yeah. down by uh, the World Trade Center the former World Trade Center, and it was all, like, bros. Like, it was a <laughs> private party, and, like, uh, leather-bound books were all over the walls. It was 9-11-2011. Um, oh, it was, wow. It was the... I wrote it up for the Village Voice. It was Very the weird. weirdest show. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I always thought that was interesting how Joel's used to rap about 9-11, too. Yeah. Um, I have a little anecdote. Um, I have two good Cameron anecdotes that I think are... It's the real worthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One... Um, he and I did the Terminal 5 show together a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. right? When the project was, or when Dipshits came out. And um, at Soundcheck, he shows up with his DJ, and his DJ's got the instant replay, which, you know, I think most of your listeners will probably know the instant replay is that bulky machine that for a long time rappers used to have their instrumentals on. Um, but Cam and I had talked a little bit about 
me kind of DJing for him, or at least his set being seamlessly woven into my set. So I had a little conversation with this DJ, and I was like, can we work it out in a way that, like, I can, like, you, maybe you and I together can play his backing tracks, but, like, do we, can we not use the instant replay? Because I don't want to have this thing up on stage the whole <laughs> night. And his DJ's like, I'm down, but I don't even have these files that are in this machine because the instant replay is like an old school machine that you literally <laughs> record into. You can't plug it to something and drag a file. <laughs> so at, I, I still had like an hour to go in my sound check. So I was like, this is fine. I'm, I'm an, if I record out, if I take these instrumentals in your replay and record them into my computer, can we play them off my Serato? And his eyes lit up and he's like, you can get the music out of this thing. <laughs> and I had my sound guy dump all the instrumentals. Oh, my God. And he, his DJ was so giddy because he's like, does this mean you can give me the, the files, the waves for the show tracks and I don't have to carry this thing anymore? I was like, yeah, dude. I'll do that for you, of course. I'll. And so I gave his own DJ his own show tracks, and he was so excited. And you gave they, him a second shot at life. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he was so happy that I gave him his own show tracks. Um, that's one story. Another story. Um, you remember when Cam wanted to fight? Uh, uh, what's that boxer's name? B Hop. Oh yeah, Bernard Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. So that was during those couple of weeks when Dame and I were linking up with Cam a lot to work on the project. So Dame calls me. He's like, yo, we're going to see Cam today. Cool. And he goes, you'll never believe this, but Cam wants to box Bernard Hopkins. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know who that is. He goes, oh, he's a very famous boxer. I'm like, okay, cool. What does that entail? He's like, well, we got to meet Cam at a boxing gym. <laughs> and from there, we'll go to his house. So we meet Dame. And Dame and I meet Cam at a boxing gym. And Dame really knows how to box. So already it's entertaining to see him do that little thing with the, you know, the, yeah, the, the, sure, the yeah, yeah. yeah, the bag. Doing the, those little the punching bag. The, yeah, the, those um, circular bag, punches. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. The, on the speed bag. You and can tell that we're boxers, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then we're kind of talking, or he's talking to Cam and just on some like, are you serious? And Cam's like, yo, if we do this on pay-per-view, we're going to get $2 million. <laughs> and um, after a while, we're like, okay, let's, let's go. Uh, let's go back to Jersey. So we hop in Cam's Bentley, and uh, so it's Cam driving. His uh, his engineer is riding shotgun, and in the back seat is myself, Dame's assistant, and Dame. And Dame at the time was entangled in a, in a lawsuit situation where he was trying to get Rachel Roy's company back from whoever those licensees were. Someone bought the license to the brand and they were messing it up and he was, they were, he was still involved with that lawsuit. So I get to witness during a 45-minute drive out to Jersey, I get to witness Damon Dash on a conference call <laughs> with a bunch of lawyers oh trying God. to win back a company. <laughs> and he's getting heated. He's sort of like, you can't talk to me, blah, blah, blah. And his assistant's like, Damon, Damon, calm down. <laughs> and at one point, so the funny thing is hearing Damon speak lawyer talk because he's well-versed in it. And by the way, so is Cam. Like, when, when we were all figuring out the business agreement that would go with, with Federal Reserve, Cam would sometimes call me and just be like, I think we could do the license, but I got to talk to my attorney because I got an exclusivity clause. With <laughs> and he was talking the talk. And I was like, all right, Cam, yeah, let me know if you have an exclusivity clause. Like, you yeah. can tell this is someone who 
got probably fucked with his early contract right. and had to learn <clears throat> the business on some street shit, For understanding sure. dealings. And now he can talk the talk and he, can, he knows what's a good deal and what's not. But Dame's on another level of talking the talk in terms of talking to lawyers. And at one point, Dame is like, no, you guys have a fiduciary obligation. To <laughs> da, 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 da. And then I see Cam in the front turn to his boy, his engineer, who's shotgun. He turns his head and he goes, fiduciary like he <laughs> mouths the words that word interests him. oh my god so but cam's patient we know cam's patient yeah. so he waits till the end of the call and cam, dame is talking blah, 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 blah. yelling 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 ends the call Whew. and there's this awkward silence first of all we end the call. you know what it's like when you're in a car <laughs> yeah. and someone's having a shouting match and so there's a little silence and then cam goes yo dame what do fiduciary mean <laughs> And then Dame tries to explain <laughs> what fiduciary means, but Dame understands what it, how to use it, but he might not be able to give the definition. So and then I'm chiming in and I'm saying like, I think it's a trust thing in the business. <laughs> like you're supposed to give your best efforts in a yeah. partnership. Da, da, da. And so Dame and I are trying to, you know, pass the ball to each other and figure out how to explain this concept to Cam. And he's sort of like nodding his head, like, okay, cool. <laughs> Did fiduciary make it into any of the lyrics? <laughs> no, but we thought like that was the joke that they was like, I'm gonna have to put that in the rep. <laughs> okay, so when you go, you're you you have some gigs coming up. You said in Phoenix and Vegas. Yeah. Um, when you go to Vegas, mm. are you playing a show that's more like what we saw at Terminal Five? Which when is I go like, to Vegas, you said. Was that yeah? Yeah. Uh, no. So I, the answer to your question is no. Uh, when I go to Vegas, it's a different game. I have a residency there, which is. A long-term contract with the club. Right now, I'm with the Win. Actually, just recently signed with them. Congratulations! Thanks. All we do is win, yeah. no matter Another what. Win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I play at the same club over the period of a year or so, and those clubs are different. From I mean, Terminal Five is a concert venue. Right. We bring in staging and lights. Um, on any other night. You could see a rock band or something, you know? Uh, a Vegas nightclub is a Vegas nightclub every night. Yeah. It's built as a club. <clears throat> when I play at Terminal 5, everyone who's there bought a ticket to the night show, to the H-Track show. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so I'm playing to my audience. When I play in Vegas, I would say a third to a half of the people... I'd say, yeah. Don't know who you are? No, come, like, they come to because it's specifically, playing, specifically me playing that night. At least half of the people at Excess or Surrender or whichever those clubs I play at um, are just there because it's Vegas and yeah. they're like, oh, we're going to go out and we're going to go to the win. <laughs> and it's the people that you see walking in the lobby, the girls that are wearing heels for the only night of the year and their, their uh, ankle is wobbly and, <laughs> you know, that, that whole thing. A lot, so, of, a, lot of, a lot of bridal parties and yeah, bachelor so parties. It's a different audience. Oxygen masks. <laughs> have you ever been in the oxygen bars? I haven't, actually. I'm curious about that. Hmm. They yeah. have, apparently, like, in Vegas now, they have, like, you can get, like, IVs if you're tired at the end of the night. Yeah. They just, like, plug you in that's and a whole thing. recharge you. Yeah, that's a whole thing. I did the IV thing when I, actually, when I, I came back from a Europe tour, I got to LA and I was feeling exhausted and I tried some sort of IV. They put electrolytes in your bloodstream. Yeah. Uh, I, it was very uncomfortable to have something plugged into your veins for like, it takes a half an hour for that liquid to get in there. And it's just, 
it's uncomfortable literally you feel shit going in your vein it's a sensation that my body didn't know to like put something into my vein I, the whole time i was like eh, get out of there but you can't because you got to wait for the whole thing to drip through and you're just like well how'd you feel after that half hour i was really loopy for like a, a little while at first I, I was like uh lightheaded for about a half hour and after that i was just sort of annoyed with the whole thing <laughs> are you more inclined to play certain songs at vegas than you wouldn't be elsewhere yes but the whole science of that I used to have conversations with, with AM about that a lot when he was alive. Like, the whole science of playing in a, let's say, a cheesy place is, to, it's like, it's dosage. It's, it's a whole game of give and take with your audience. As a DJ, I'm not going to be overly stubborn and play the same set. The whole art of DJing is to adapt your set to where you are. So if I'm in, I'm in Vegas, I will play ball a bit and I'll play a couple songs that are... Uh, that are just a bit more, I guess... Wide-reaching. Like, yeah, like dance mainstream than I would if I'm playing some cool house club in Chicago. But it's all about how you weave them into your set. And for me, every one of those that I give the crowd, it's like giving a, a doggy treat. It's like, <laughs> oh, you got your little treat? Cool. The next two records are going to be things that you, you don't realize that you've never heard and you don't think you want to hear. A big part of being a DJ is having this sort of implicit dialogue with your audience where they think they know what they want to hear but they don't really know but you don't want to be too much of an ass and not give them some of it so you give them a little bit of what they know and then they're barking like a little dog <laughs> and then you're like cool now let me pull a fast one on you and play, play you some weird shit they trust me this is good and then you play those songs and they're like oh that's so cool no one plays this <laughs> and then after, you don't want to go too far with that you give them a little uh, another little treat and they're happy and it's that whole give and take um, yeah, DJ Offbeat, I feel like, had the same <laughs> philosophy. I, w I was thrilled when we saw you at Terminal 5 that you worked uh, down in the DM in there, which Ooh. the greatest. Yeah. We, we Yo, love, I'm so happy Yogati. for Yo Gotti. Love Yo Gotti. Yeah. Yeah. We had him up here, the nicest person like in the world, yeah. and he's been working a long time to get a number one hit, and this is it. It's, it's great. Just, it's so good. Snapchat, Snapchat me that yeah, link, yeah. if it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the conditional if it's cool. Yeah, like, respectfully. Yeah. <laughs> respectfully, Snapchat me your privates. And by the way, he gives them an option. You can FaceTime me that pussy. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Um, Consensual. Would yeah. you play something like... Like, do you have a guilty pleasure song that you work into your set right now? Uh, I mean, that's still one of them for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, the guilty pleasure thing varies. Sometimes... You know, some of the, some of the guilty pleasures will be like almost ringtone kind of songs. Like it's fun to play um, <coughs> a flick of the wrist or whip nene kind of song if you mm -hmm. flip it a certain way. But another part of the guilty pleasure is playing the the weirdo cool southern songs, like a Kodak Black kind of song or like a Made in Tokyo kind of song that you know that only a fraction of your audience knows but those who know are so psyched like for a long time there would be Wee Longway songs that I would play right you know where I'd be like I'm gonna play this and there's gonna be a couple people that are gonna be so psyched that I play it and those that don't know it they'll just you know nod their head to the 808 they'll, they'll, they'll still enjoy it mm -hmm. yeah but that's part of the joy of being a DJ too just to because it feels like you pull the fast one on people sometimes my you know, sneaking and geeking by Pee Wee Longway is a personal favorite and I would play that and I always turn over to my friend and be like <laughs> playing sneaking and geeking in front of like 2000 you know yeah I heads. like uh, three different drugs 
Yes. Molly Gasoline. <laughs> yes. Um, my Guilty Pleasure song. I mean, I, I like uh, those drugs. What were you saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my Guilty Pleasure song of the moment, as Jeff will attest because I play it quite frequently right now, is Zero by Chris Brown. It's a disco song. It's it's a disco song. It's well like written. Whoever yeah. wrote it wrote it well, and it's just it's just fun. Yeah, and it's, it's good. yeah. It's yeah. Just... Eric's been playing it on repeat. Yeah, listen, yeah. I'm just like playing some C B. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um yeah. And meanwhile, um I'm playing uh Rowdy Rebels new mixtape, which is awesome. I need to get I haven't listened yet, but I I'm excited about that. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like New York for me is having a moment. Or at least I'm like really liking New York rap right now yeah. like um asap 12 we put out his song yeah. last year being broke which i really liked yeah. um so, yeah and then there's also like the dave east kind of guys that are doing like just good hip-hop sure that's the talking about other fool's go projects when is the just blaze uh project going to happen <laughs> ask just blaze it's on him <laughs> we do ask just blaze yeah <laughs> just blaze works it's no it's it's no wonder that just blaze and, and cam made some great <laughs> records together they were each work on their own on their own clock shout out to just blaze yeah he friend of fool's gold friend of it's the real totally when we were <laughs> when we were at his place after star wars we're like you know what we never asked you because we we asked him about like what rappers what random rapper would be super into like things like this and he's like well Eminem's huge into comics. Huh. He's like Rick Ross has like a whole room full of uh, like toys and Star Wars stuff. Yeah, and yeah. we never asked him about Kanye, and he's like, he's like, you know what? All the conversations, all the time we spent together, yeah. never had a conversation about it. But I figure he would. Do you know if he would be into that? Like into what specific? Into Star Wars. Oh, it's hard to tell. Kanye has really bad taste in movies, in my opinion. Uh, we just disagree on movies, mm-hmm. but. Uh, so I don't know. He has not seen the Lego movie. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's weird. The movies that he likes, I'm always like, why do you like this? <laughs> he loved 300. He likes movies with like strong aesthetics, but sometimes those movies just don't work aside from having a strong aesthetic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he likes Star Wars. I can tell you. So when when you when you all traveled together, like GLC was your guy. Like you. Did, yeah, I mean GLC wasn't on all the tours, but he was part of the traveling party for a good two years, and yeah. he, he and I became uh, good buddies. For was sure. that was that similar taste in movies? Was it just similar uh, taste in humor? Sim- yeah, humor slash this funny kind of this funny kind of friendship that comes from. Two people that might look at each other and be like, I wouldn't have expected it, but I get you and you get me kind of things. <laughs> you know, do you remember when Alchemist and Big Twin were doing a project together? Yes. Yeah. So that I remember like that came out around the same time. And I, was, I remember thinking like, that's probably the same kind of friendship. Like they had a whole song where Alchemist was like, I grew up in the lap of luxury. And Twin said some other shit about <laughs> how he didn't grow up in the lap of luxury. I didn't grow up in the lap of luxury for the record. But yeah, this sort of like... You get me, kind of thing. <laughs> well, I do want to ask my this one last question, which is, so, um, you know, what is it like to... Everybody asks you, you know, what is Kanye's album, you know, going to sound like? And yep. I'm sure you're tired of that. And I, I personally don't think that you could give it justice, even if you did have... Mm. And at this point, I'm not even sure, because it's been... Yeah, I'm not sure where he's at with it. But, no. like, but my question is, what is it like to hear an album? Like, does is he open to... Criticism, um, very. He's very open to criticism. Yeah, very, and that's part of what made us uh, have an actual close friendship for a long time. Was that uh, we were both of us were always very frank with each other, 
He used to have an expression when I was working with him. He would say that something is HVAC approved. Because a lot of people around him would just say, that's great to everything he did. And when I would say, ah, I think you could re-record that verse or something, he would you know, he would do it. And when I would hear something, I'd be like, yo, this is crazy. Because I was a huge fan of his uh, the whole time. But I would just hold him to a certain standard. So he was always happy when I'd give the thumbs up. You know, So uh, when he's working on music, definitely he's... he'll. And the thing that's cool is he's um, democratic with his surveys about it. Like, he'll play his music to, uh, you know, the friend of a friend that's just sitting on a couch and be like, what do you think? You know? So it's not, it's, he doesn't only ask me and Q-Tip. He'll ask just, a, you know, he, he... Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's open to critique for sure. And it's always interesting witnessing the making of those albums because every Kanye album has a departure or some sort. It has like the sounds of that album, right? So there's always the the phase of him trying a bunch of stuff and then you you see when it starts congealing and mm-hmm. then he he uh he finishes it up. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh we really appreciate you coming back to the Upper West Side. Uptown. Um also the next time that we do this we sh- we hope we can get you and your brother here. Yeah. Or we can get you and Khaled together, <clears throat> whatever. Yeah. Yeah, get me and Khaled. Uptown <laughs> <laughs> baby. Essential oils. Yeah. Another podcast, Jeff. Another perfect interview. Another one. We did it. Not bad. Uh what is that? Thirty five? Thirty five perfect episodes. Alright, how about we do it again next week? I you know, I don't know if I can make it next week. Can you all right, check in with Casey. I'm gonna have, check in with Casey. Yeah. Have her do the iCal. Yep. Alright, we'll see, we'll figure out the schedule. Okay. But you know what? I'm gonna jump ahead. I'm gonna say next Tuesday we'll do it. You wanna know what? Until then you can find us in the archives at soundcloud.com slash at a waste of time. Yes, that's right. A waste of time. Yeah. I think I said it right. Okay. And then iTunes, you yeah. can also search uh, waste of time or it's the real. Well guess what, Jeff? We're also on Instagram at it's the real. Uh, Twitter at it's the real. Facebook at. I mean Jeff Rosenthal and Eric Rosenthal. No, no, at it's the real. Oh right, yeah, yeah. that too. And uh, and then on Snapchat. That's yeah, a, that's the tricky one. Okay, so Snapchat we are at it's it's the real and it's the real Eric. Um, it's the real was taken. Yeah. So, so really, if you're it's the real on Snapchat, give it up. Just let it go. Let us have it. These are tough tough words. Find me. They they know where I'm at now. Yeah, at It's the Real Eric. That's right. Find me. Let's trade. Okay. Bye.